Thank you, worship team. Would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be studying verses 19 through 30 today. If you're looking on in one of the church Bibles, that's found on page number 1,162. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. Lord willing, we're going to be finishing up Philippians chapter 2 today, Paul's letter of joy to the Philippians. Before we start, and as you're turning, I just want to say again another special thank you to all of our Guatemala missions team members. Thank you for sharing. You know, as we were looking through those slides and hearing the testimonies, I kept thinking to myself, you know, these are our people. These are our people from our church going onto the global mission field and sharing the love of Christ and also sharing the gospel message of Christ. And what a blessing that is. And I just want to thank you for representing our church well both here and abroad. So thank you again. This is actually a very good segue into our message this morning because our scripture passage is all about being willing to go to be with brothers and sisters in Christ during their time of need. It's all about sending yourself so that you can be there for people and encouraging them and supporting them and caring for them and sharing the gospel of Christ with them. Uh, Before we get to our passage this morning, I wanted to share a story that I thought fit well. In his book, Radical, Pastor David Platt shares a story about a missions trip that he took to southern Sudan. And on this trip, he writes, I remember sitting on a scorching November day in the middle of southern Sudan, sipping hot tea with some Christian Sudanese friends, Bulin and Andrew. Many of you know for the last 20 plus years, the southern Sudanese, particularly Sudanese Christians there, have been persecuted. Hundreds and thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ have lost their lives. Bulin and Andrew have basically seen war all of their lives, and we were sitting there in the middle of this war-torn village by ravaged buildings, sharing hot tea and conversation. And there I was. And he writes, at the same time, I remember preparing to go on that trip. It was somewhat of an expensive trip, getting a chartered flight to a remote part of Sudan. And I remember a lady in our church coming up to me at the time and saying, David, why don't you just send the money instead? I mean, you're only going to be there for two weeks. Can't that money that's used to take you there for two weeks, can't that be better used for those people if you just sent that to them instead? Well, Pastor Platt writes, he remembers, I I wrestled with that. He asked, am I I being unwise using resources like this? Should I have just sent the money? And he remembers being in Sudan, sitting there with Bulin and Andrew, these two young men, as I said before, who have seen war all of their lives. And Andrew shares with me how over 20 years, a variety of organizations have brought supplies and resources to them. And he said, we are extremely thankful for all of the resources people provided to us over these years. But then he looked at me and said, but do you want to know how you can tell who a true brother is? I said, how, Andrew? And he said, a true brother comes to be with you in your time of need. And he said, David, you are a true brother. And Pastor Platt writes that tears welled up in his eyes as he realized the fallacy of what he had been wrestling with, and it's the whole point of the gospel, and that is that when God decided to bring salvation to people, he didn't send money, 
he sent himself. And this morning, uh, my point is, is that there is no substitute for being there, is there? There is no substitute for being there with a brother or sister in Christ in their time of need, and there is no greater gift that you can give or receive than the gift of yourself, sharing not just the gospel, but yourselves as well. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Philippians 2.19-30 is about two servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were willing to go. Two selfless servants who were willing to be sent out to further the gospel and to encourage and to provide for the Apostle Paul during his time of need. This passage is about the joy they brought to the Apostle Paul. And so I've entitled the sermon, Joy in Selfless Servants. So would you please stand with me as I read Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30, and then I'd ask that you remain standing afterward for a word of prayer. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my need. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you, will, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you this morning for servants who are willing to go. Thank you for servants who are willing to make sacrifices and who are willing to take risks for the work of Christ. Father, I do pray for the continued work in Guatemala and for the continued work here in Verona. Lord, I pray that this morning you would help me to articulate your word and your truth. And Lord, that we would leave here with not just a better understanding of what you have to say, but we would leave here convicted and filled with your Holy Spirit and challenged and emboldened to live our life for you. Lord, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Lord, may you bless this time of instruction and as we honor this time of reading your word. Allow us, Lord, to become more like you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, this morning, as we begin our, stu- our study today, as I said, we're going to be taking a look at two joyous and selfless servants, and that is Timothy and Epaphroditus. 
Our first servant is Timothy, and if you're looking in your bulletins, you'll see in the notes there's a couple blanks there. The very first heading in your notes is Timothy serving selflessly in soul as a son. Timothy serving selflessly in soul as a son. Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. You see, Timothy is with Paul in Rome. And Paul specifically wants to send Timothy to the Philippian church. And Paul expects that Timothy will bring them cheer and encouragement. And not only that, Paul expects to be cheered and to be encouraged when Paul received the news about the Philippians. Timothy's presence would bring cheer to the Philippians and to Paul. I want you to look at that phrase, that I also may be cheered in verse 19. That word cheered in the original Greek is the word epsuchio. And it comes from two words. I put it in your bulletin. Ooh meaning well and psuche meaning soul or mind. So what Paul is literally saying is that he hopes to send Timothy to them so that they both will be well-souled or well-minded by Timothy's service. And you see, that's what, that's what servants of Christ bring to the table. They bring cheer and soul wellness to those they serve in Christ. When I saw those photos of that, that warm touch for an a, a infant or a baby in Guatemala or that hot meal for a child at the dump, or uh, those dolls, those kids clinging to those dolls and smiling, or the, the smile that they have and seeing their face on a digital camera. Those are soul-welling, soul-cheering acts of service done in Christ's name. Verse 20, Paul says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. He's saying, Timothy is unique. He says, I have no one else like him. I like how the NASB says it. It says it better, I think. He says, I have no one else of kindred spirit. Those words like him or kindred spirit in the original Greek language is the word isosuchos, meaning from isos, equal, and again, suche, of soul or mind. And what Paul is literally saying is he is of one mind or one soul with Timothy. No one is of one soul with Paul like Timothy is. Now, unfortunately, Paul can't go to Philippi because of his chains and sharing the gospel in Rome. So instead, Paul says he wants to send his very soul, Timothy. And like Paul, there's a special mention that Timothy shows genuine concern for the people of Philippi. He is burdened in his heart for those particular people just like Paul is. Verse 21 Paul says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. This is a distinguishing mark for Christians, isn't it? That they not be selfish, but that they be selfless. Not self-interested, but self-effacing and self-sacrificing. I remember, this is what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Remember Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, Warren Worsby, I like how he says this. He commented on this particular verse and he said, in a very real sense, all of us live either in Philippians 1.21 or 2.21. 
meaning it's either to live as Christ or to live is to look out for your own interests. It's either every man for himself or die to self and live for Christ. And Christians, we are called to look after the interests of others in humility and to consider the worth and dignity of our fellow man who was made in the image of God. I, I recently read another story that was written by a nurse. I'm partial to nurses. And uh, the story was written from a nurse who was attending nursing school. And the nurse wrote, During my second month of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. And I was a smart and conscientious student, and I breezed through most of the problems until I came to the last question. And the last question on the quiz read, What is the first name of the janitorial staff woman who cleans the school? And I paused, confused by the question. Surely this had to be some kind of joke, wasn't it? I thought about it. I'd seen the woman several times. She was tall, dark-haired, in her 50s. But why would I know her name? At the end of class, I, I turned in my quiz paper and I asked the professor if the last question would actually count towards the quiz grade. Absolutely came the quick response of the professor. The professor said, in your careers you will meet many people. And every person you meet is significant. They all deserve your respect, your attention, and your care. And the nurse wrote, I've never forgotten that lesson. And I also learned her name. It was Dorothy. And she asked, who is the Dorothy in your life? Now, in Guatemala, it was probably a little bit more obvious who needed your attention and care. But now that we are here today, the question is, who needs your attention now? What ignored person do you need to see as significant? Who now needs your genuine concern? Paul says in verse 22, But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul is saying that Timothy isn't just his soul, but his very son in the faith. Paul often spoke affectionately of Timothy in the scriptures. He called him my true child in the faith. Paul led Timothy to Christ. Paul was Timothy's mentor, his model. Timothy was a native of Lystra. His mother and grandmother were Jewish Christians. His father was a Greek and probably a pagan. And Timothy needed a spiritual father figure in his life. Timothy was a promising young disciple and his combined Jewish and Greek heritage actually made him uniquely qualified to minister with Paul to the Gentiles. And by the time Paul writes Philippians, Timothy has been Paul's constant companion for about 10 years. They were family. And I just want to say from personal experience, when you minister with someone for 10 years, there's a bond there, right? You feel like family. And Paul had that family bond with Timothy. And so he writes in verse 23 and 24, I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul is eager to send Timothy to Philippi, but truth be told, Paul wanted to go himself. Paul's waiting to hear the verdict on his own trial. He's hoping for the best, and his heart yearns for these people. And so Paul's gift, his encouragement to the church in Philippi is his son in the faith, the presence of his kindred spirit, his very soul, and this is the profile we have of Timothy, serving selflessly in soul as a son. 
Well, our, our next selfless servant is the person of Epaphroditus. And the heading in your notes is Epaphroditus serving selflessly in sickness as a sacrifice. Epaphroditus serving selflessly in sickness and sacrifice. Paul says in verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. We know from verse 25 that the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul. He's with Paul in Rome. And they sent him to take care of his needs, to care for him, to support him, to be there during this trial. And now Paul intends to send him back to the church in Philippi. Epaphroditus is kind of a contrast to Timothy because while we know a whole lot about Timothy, we know next to nothing about Epaphroditus. And yet, of all the men that Paul honors in his letter to the Philippians, it is Epaphroditus who gets the most attention. Epaphroditus, his name means belonging to or favored by Aphrodite, which was the Greek goddess of love. So I think it's safe to say he did not have Christian or Jewish parents. But the church of Philippi trusted him implicitly, and Paul has nothing but good things to say about him. Paul says about him in verse 26 and 27, he says, For he longs for all of you and is distressed, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus uh, like many a willing missionary, got sick. And uh, we know that that is still common today. In fact, Epaphroditus was so sick he almost died. We don't know what type of sickness it was, but we do know that it was serious and it was nearly fatal. Verse 26 says that Epaphroditus was distressed. And this is a very interesting word because that word distressed is the same word that the Gospel writers use of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and the scriptures tell us that his sweat became like drops of blood. It's a very strong word. And what's interesting about it is that what distressed Epaphroditus wasn't that he almost died. What distressed him was he knew that his church heard about his illness and he knew that they would be worried about him. Epaphroditus wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about the Philippians' concern. And that's a selfless servant for you, isn't it? on the brink of death, and yet he's still more concerned about others. I'll tell you, sickness, as I said before, can be very common uh, on the mission field. It still is. I, I heard from our, our mission team that you know, a lot of them got sick, and uh, I know that that can be very discouraging. I know during times like that, the natural question to ask would be, Lord, why would you allow me to get sick when all I want to do is serve you on the mission field? Or, or Lord, I've come all this way to serve you, why are you allowing this sickness to happen to me now? And I, I don't have the exact answer to that question, but I will say is maybe the Lord is using this sickness so that you will trust Him more. Maybe the Lord is using this sickness so that He can be glorified in a special way. Maybe in your sickness the Lord is about to do something wonderful or miraculous. The Scriptures tell us from 2 Corinthians twelve nine, God's grace is sufficient for you. For God's power is made, per, is made perfect in your weakness. I love this story. It's a true story of a missionary couple. And they were serving in the Philippines. 
And while they were serving as missionaries, the wife became very, very ill. Uh, It was from uh, contaminated drinking water. In fact, the illness was so severe that the wife slipped into a temporary coma. And at the hospital in the Philippines, the doctors treated this missionary wife with some very uh, powerful medications and drugs. But what the doctors didn't know was at the time the wife was pregnant. And when they found out about the pregnancy, the doctors stopped the medications, but according to the doctors, the damage to the baby had already been done. And the high doses of the medication, the doctors said, had already damaged the fetus beyond repair. They said the baby would not survive. They believed that even if the baby did survive, that it would suffer from life-threatening birth defects. And the doctors recommended to the mother that they terminate the pregnancy so that her life would not also be at risk. And uh, this missionary couple refused the doctor's recommendation and they decided that they should start praying. And they prayed, and they prayed nonstop for the health of their unborn child. And they prayed that the Lord would be merciful. And they flew to Manila, which was the Philippine capital, in hopes of better medical resources. And the missionary couple stayed there in Manila and they kept praying while the wife was on bed rest. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that God did a miracle in their lives. God was merciful to this missionary couple. On August 14th, 1987, this missionary wife gave birth to a miracle baby boy. He was small, but he was healthy. And they gave him the name Timothy Richard Tebow who in case you haven't heard, (laughs) just so happened to turn out to be a pretty strong and healthy young man. God was merciful. True story. Why does God allow sickness on the mission field? Well, we know in the case of Epaphroditus, it was so that God's mercy would be glorified. Verse 27 says, But God had mercy. God spared Paul, he spared Epaphroditus, but he spared Paul and the Philippians sorrow upon sorrow, and Epaphroditus' life became a living proof of God's mercy and God's power. Paul says in verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety, I bet. Uh, Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi because he knows Epaphroditus needs to be there. And that Epaphroditus being there will bring them encouragement. Paul wraps up in verse 29 and 30 saying, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul says Epaphroditus' homecoming should be great joy should cause great joy for the Philippian church. And Paul commands that people like Epaphroditus be honored and that they be held in high regard and that it's appropriate for us to have those individuals come back to our church and share their ministries and for us to rejoice with them. They deserve a grand welcome home. Why? Because people who are willing to go and to be there on the mission field are putting themselves at risk. They're willing to sacrifice. Epaphroditus almost died in service because he was willing to go and further the gospel. I know our our Guatemala missions team, they were telling me they they were going to the compound and they had armored vehicles on either side of them and that safety, it it wasn't assumed. 
And uh, they were willing to take risk. Paul says Epaphroditus is worthy of regard because he was willing to risk it all. I want you to look at that phrase as, as we start to wrap up, risking his life. That word risking there in the original Greek is the word parabolomai. And that word literally means to, to throw aside. It means to voluntarily hazard or to willingly expose yourself to danger. Parabolomai. You might not know this, but in the New Testament times, there was a group of Christians who came together and they called themselves the parabolani. It comes from this word. They called themselves the risk takers. And they risked their lives by ministering to the sick and to the people who were in prison, just like Paul. Instead of running away from sickness and plague, they actually ran to it and they showed amazing and remarkable courage. They often nursed and buried those who were dying of plague and as they did so, they boldly proclaimed the gospel of Christ wherever they went. So as we begin to close this morning, my point is, Following Christ involves risk. It involves putting your safety and well-being in jeopardy to improve the safety and well-being of others. Following Christ involves sacrificial love like Epaphroditus. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ because this is what Jesus Christ did. 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See that? He says, lay down our lives to, to throw aside. And, and so we have Epaphroditus, this risk taker for Christ. And Paul says we are to honor the sacrifice and the risk of men like that. And this is the profile we have of Epaphroditus, serving selflessly in sickness and in sacrifice. And this morning as I close, I just want to say, If following Christ involves risk, and if following Christ involves sacrifice, following Christ also involves a lot of faith. Faith that we get out of our comfort zones and that we be willing to go. Uh, Michelle and I just went to a a Francis Chan conference, and, and in his book, Crazy Love, one of the things that Francis Chan writes about is a question that his Bible professor asked him when he was younger. He writes, back when I was in Bible college, a professor asked our class this question. And the question was, what are you doing right now that requires faith? What are you doing right now that requires faith? And he wrote, that question affected me deeply because at the time I could think of nothing in my life that required faith. He writes, God does not call us to be comfortable. God calls us to trust him. God calls us to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. This place of trust isn't a comfortable place. In fact, it often flies in the face of everything we've been taught. God wants us to trust him with abandon to show us how he works and cares for us. God wants us to be, God wants to be our refuge. So this morning as we wrap up, My one application that I want you to leave you with is just a question. That question is, what are you doing right now that requires faith? Let's pray. Father God, I realize uh, this morning there may be some here who have never trusted you as Savior or as Lord. And maybe the one thing that they need to do 
is to take that first step of faith towards you, to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, who died on the cross in their place and for their sins, who rose again so that we could have life everlasting and forgiveness. Lord, we thank you again for these examples in Scripture that you have given us, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to follow you as we see your servants in Scripture follow you. We are grateful this morning to be a part of a global missionary effort. And Lord, we pray that we would also not forget that we are part of a local missionary effort. May we glorify you, Father, and be faithful to you, to your word, and in sharing the gospel message, both here and abroad. And we pray this all in Christ's name.